Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is our league, and this is your league. From the 55-yard line on CFL America Radio and the Sports History Network. There's a professional football league that believes having fun is the most important business at hand. where football is still a game. The preceding message presented on behalf of the United States Football League. Hi, I'm Oz Davis of the True the Goats podcast here at the Sports History Network. I'd like to take a minute to tell you about quite possibly the greatest website of all time, newspapers.com. If you're listening to this podcast or any of them at the Sports History Network, you're probably into sports history. And you probably also know that for learning about anything prior to, say, 1990 online, the typical search engines like are nearly completely useless. But then there's newspapers.com. Newspapers.com gives you access to over 640 million pages worth of news from North America, Britain, Ireland, and more, dating from 1798 to last week. Do up a search for Super Bowl One, the 36th Berlin Olympics, Wayne Gretzky's first game, whatever. Newspapers.com takes you there with historical flavor that search engines like just don't give you. And now get a free one-week subscription to Newspapers.com by visiting SportsHistoryNetwork.com slash newspapers. With a paid subscription, you'll also be helping to support the production of this podcast and other Sports History Network shows. That's SportsHistoryNetwork.com slash newspapers. Newspapers.com. Way better for searches than you know what I'm talking about. Welcome to the 55-yard line with Scott and I today. And uh, on our show today, we're going to have guest Jeff Perlman to talk about the USFL. But before then, it's Scott and I. We're going to kind of review where we're at last time. It's been, Scott, how long has it been? It's about a month now since we sat down. Feels like a lot longer than that. I I wasn't even sure who you were when I saw you there. (laughs) Well, the hair had... The hair has grown out, and I've I've flown many miles since then. So it's it's nice to nice to come back and see you and sit down and do this and uh, catch up on catch up on life and and football. So um, yeah, I'm wearing my Birmingham, even though you know no one can see us. I'm wearing my Birmingham Stallions T-shirt today in honor of our guest. So nice, nice. Yeah, we're uh, Jeff Berlman will be on after we do kind of our shtick here, talking. We're going to talk a little CFL, and we're going to talk. Uh, the current news of the day. So let's just talk about, let's start with the CFL playoffs are here. Um, did you watch any of the games here towards the it's I'll be honest with you. It's been hard for me because I've been kind of on the go and with the way the schedule has been to, to sit down and pretty much watch a full game. But you know, the, the, the final standings are kind of in a way, kind of how I kind of figured they were all going to, you know, kind of lay out. I mean, you got three in each division. Do we have three in each yeah. Do we, we we do unless I miss unless I misspoke misspoke but we got three teams in each division and the playoffs are starting. 
Well, you know, I, before the season started, I had Hamilton at 12 and two. So I missed that just a little bit. Yeah. Well, I kind of figured <laughs> Winnipeg was going to walk away with it though. I yeah. am. And you know, Toronto with the way they picked up free agents and everything and the off season, I mean, they did not, they, they, the only place they disappointed obviously was in the attendance, but you know, and the attendance, obvious, I mean, you've seen the, you've seen the latest, I mean, God, they had like 6,000 in for their last game and, Edmonton's been having attendance issues. So it's going to be interesting to see where we go from here. Yeah, this has been, you know, as far as the season goes, it was great to get it back, even though it was 14 games or whatever, but it still was, it was close to a full season. But, you know, for me as a, as a Tiger Cats fan, as a CFL fan in general, you know, the games for the most part, and again, I'm kind of like you, I've, I've sort of just kind of been hit and miss on them, but they haven't been nearly as engaging as I'd hope for some reason, I was thinking maybe, you know, this was going to be this really wild season. You'd have a lot of shootout style games, but it's just, if this was the first exposure fans had to the CFL, I'm not sure it would necessarily win them over. Um, right. Well, I'm not used to seeing defense in a CFL game and all these games, no. a lot of them were low scoring in some cases, kind of the game was kind of, sl- the games were kind of sloppy. Yeah. Yeah. They really, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, again, the way it started and coming off COVID and everything, and I'm trying to just look at this as sort of a bridge season, and, and hopefully when they come back next June, there'll be, you know, a lot more 35 to 29 type games and, and, and stuff. But, yeah, it's just, you no, know, I think I had it in my head. I was so excited about the return of the CFL. I think the fantasy couldn't have matched the reality regardless, but I think the reality has been a little bit less than, than maybe what we expected. So, and you know, I mean, for, and also too, I mean, if if the CFL is trying to attract new viewers and obviously not only new view, you know, probably, you know, new viewers up in Canada, but down here. And um, you know, I mean, the games on the games are on ESPN plus, and I'll be honest with you, they're kind of hard to find on ESPN plus. So unless you know what you're looking for, it's it's hard. I mean, unless somebody is want, hey, I want to see a CFL game. But if you're just a general fan in passing, when you're on ESPN Plus, you don't realize that there's a CFL game on with the way the channel selection is. Yeah, the way I've learned to do it is I just drop down and just you know scroll until my thumb gets really really tired, and by that point you've usually hit the CFL game. Yeah. You know because it comes after all the college, all the football, volleyball, you know, soccer, everything yeah. else. Yeah. Um, so, yes. but yeah, you're, you're right. You've got to, uh, you got to be motivated to find the games, you know, if, when you're looking for them. Right. Yeah. So, well, hopefully, you know, I mean, we, you know, the hope springs eternal and speaking of spring, we've got the new, the quote unquote USFL coming out here in the spring, which is you and I, you know, the purest, the, the, his, you know, the old, the old, the old guy guys in us, and the and the purists, no, it's no, it's not really the USFL. It's um, it's just uh, the Spring League with a new label placed on it. Yeah, you know, I'm so curious because when they released their, you know, all the information that uh, that they released about it, here's everything you need to know. Well, it really wasn't everything you need to know. We still don't know who the eight teams are. We still, you know, they said that they didn't know where the location was going to be, but I think we're pretty sure it's going to be Birmingham. No, you got that going. Um, at least you, at least you, yeah, at least, you know, hey, and, for for a dude like you, man, that's going to be heaven for you to be able to. Yeah, I mean, if if it's here, I'll certainly go watch it. But getting back to to the earlier point, 
what's it going to be? You know, what's the pay scale going to be? I mean, is, is it going to be something similar to the, what they tried in the last iteration of the XFL and the Alliance of American football, you know, because if you're paying, you know, decent money, you can get these guys who are just missed NFL guys, you know, and you've seen some of these guys, these XFL veterans who have made NFL rosters and made impacts, you know? So if, if you have a league like that, that's going to be great. But again, I just don't know what it is. I mean, I would like to have, you know, before I get, overexcited or, or completely bummed about it. I would just like to know what their plan is. And I don't think anybody knows yet. Other, well, I guess maybe the people at Fox know since it's their league, but they're not telling yeah. us. Yeah. And I mean, the, the information's kind of come dribble. I mean, just up, up recently, they just, they finally got an official social, they got a social media presence. So, yeah, I mean, information is there's, there's more speculation obviously than it would any, it's kind of like, you know, what the, C, the XFL, CFL talks, there's more speculation than information coming out. Right. You know, I mean, for you and I, I mean, uh, I'm just hoping to see some of the, the team colors and uniforms that we saw, you know, that I, well, you're a little bit older than me, but when I saw when I was in high school and in, in particular, you know, hopefully uh, we got San Antonio gunslingers. Well, see, that's where I'm different, and and I've I've already said I'm I'm a fogey, I'm an old goob when it comes yeah. to this kind of stuff. But you know, I like to remember the old USFL for what it was. So I would much prefer that the new teams, whatever cities they represent or whatever, would be new logos, brand new nicknames. You know, instead of the Birmingham Stallions again, the Birmingham Battalion, just something different. You know, right? Um, but to your point, I won't deny if I go out there. And there's a team with gold hats and the lazy horse and the, you know, red shirt and stuff. And yeah, it'd, it'd be a nice little nostalgia. Trip, yeah. A few minutes at least. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to be, I'm curious to see what the TV product's going to look like since it's going to be on Fox. I'm assuming it's going to be on, you know, I mean, it, it's not going to be on, an, on, on the Fox app, but actually accessible. You know, I have direct TV, so um, hopefully it's not going to, it's going to be accessible for not that more of an extra cost than, Unfortunately, you know, for example, the NFL and their infinite wisdom this year decided to charge all us direct TV customers um, an additional amount of money to get the Sunday ticket. Oh, how sweet. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to explain that one to my wife and uh, wasn't. Uh, well, let's put it this way. I told her, I go, hey, Cardinals are undefeated. So once she finally saw the bill, I go, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, eh, we're going to we're going to keep it this year. So we'll see. You know, obviously next year for me, I've got big changes coming up. Hopefully by this time next year, I'll be over on the other side of the world watching football, you know, not only football here, but also um, watching uh, my ex, you know, Japanese football and covering stuff for the, the other podcast with Gridiron Japan and actually broadcasting live, hopefully from some of the games <laughs> while we do. Oh, the that'd podcast. be great. That'd be awesome. Um, been, um, you know, so that's. But with that said, yeah, no, I'm like you. It's just like, yeah, the USF. I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of. Uh, well, we'll see. I mean, we we've, we've all been through this before, and I know, you know, the XFL talk. You know, now, yeah, every it seems like every time anybody from on the XFL side, meaning management, tweets out a little something, it's just they hop on it. And again, I I I love the passion of the XFL fans, but I'm like, you know, until again, we're going to have this conversation with, you know, we have had this conversation here with Jeff, but, you know, I mean, it goes back to what kind of what I said with him. I mean, until we, uh, the NFL couldn't make spring football work. 
I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to, to put my heart and soul into anything. Oh, me too. I mean, just, you know, again, I'm as a Birmingham professional football fan, I'm 0 for 7. And then if you right. count the semi-pro teams, I'm 0 for 9. Well, yeah. 0 for a lot more. There's always a team that comes up. But see, this is this is another thing that, you know, as, as someone who lives in Birmingham and loves Birmingham and wants Birmingham to succeed in everything, you know, part of having the USFL hub here is it'll put the spotlight on Birmingham, which right. that's great. But what worries me is the spotlight is going to be on a stadium that has a thousand people in it. Cause I'm just right. thinking, you know, the team that's branded the stallions, hopefully they'll draw fairly well. But then when you have a couple of other teams playing, like say they're playing at Legion field in an overflow game or something, and all the games are going to be televised and there's nobody there, you know, that's going to, it's going to be like, you know, Joe and Jolene Blow out in California. Well, God, people in Birmingham don't care about football. It's like, no, that's not it. Yeah. Well, and then then it also begs a question, too. I mean, talking about, I mean, if you want to watch spring football, you're going to know where to find it. You know, is the is this new league going to attract the casual fan? History says that it won't, but I'm hopeful. I mean, you know. Yeah, you know, I mean. We've had this conversation probably a hundred times by now. I mean, oh yeah, we any any league that pops up, USFL, XFL, any FL you can come up with, we want it to succeed. I want any honest business to succeed. Right. I mean, I would I love for more football players to have more opportunities. Um, I'm just looking for that, you know, for someone to actually make it work. I mean, because yeah. it, it just hasn't happened yet. And, and I want it – I truly do want it to happen, but it's just when you've been burned so many times, you just – you you have to, especially someone, you know, that that's our age, you kind of have to, you know, tamp your expectations a little bit. Yeah. So. I mean, the XFL, I mean, both versions had some great ideas, had some – you know, I mean, obviously the first XFL with the Sky King, I mean, they brought some great, you know – Put some yeah, new innovations. Had, I mean, all yeah, these they, leagues bring something that the NFL takes and makes their own. And, and, and I will say, I will say this: the original XFL, yeah, they had some technical innovations. I didn't care for the football. I mean, especially probably because Birmingham was was two and eight; they were terrible. So I'd lost interest in that league pretty early on. But the most recent iteration of the XFL in 2020, I love the rule innovations. They had good talent. I thought it was a very good product. But, yeah, you know, then the, the pandemic into that so yeah and uh you know i mean yeah I, i'm like you i want football to succeed and obviously you know our our favorite league north of the border is still struggling and it's going to be it's going to be an interesting next year i think in terms of just where the cfl goes um especially with toronto toronto and bc are still bothering me bc has the 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 upside with bc is they've got a new owner that really seems committed but as you and I know, over the years, and every new owner, I mean, there's always hope springs eternal with every new owner. But the key thing is, is, you know, getting people to getting people into the stadium and getting, I mean, people are watching the CFL. I mean, that much we know. It's getting them into the stadium. And and, and you and I, I mean, it, you know, I live in Chicago, which is a, a comparable city to Toronto. Hey, the Sox struggle at the gate, but, you know, the Sox do draw people, but I, I just, I still don't get why people don't want to go to, you know, watch football in Toronto. 
uh, just well, and, and, and the Sox may struggle at the gate, but they have 80 opportunities, you know, to, they to do. kind of make up for it. So they but, do. And, um, you know, I mean, even, even, even the Cubs, I mean, you, you know, the Cubs, I mean, the Cubs can have a, can be literally in last place every year. They're still going to draw at Wrigley. And speaking of Wrigley this weekend, we've got Northwestern, I think in Wisconsin playing at Wrigley. So if you're listening to this podcast and if you're looking for one college game to tune into, that's the one I'm tuning into. Is that the one where they're going to have the short end zone or no, or whatever? no, they've, or, uh, I, you know what? I got to read the newspaper. I've not uh, kind of brushed up on here on, on, on the, on the game for this week, but okay. So for those who are listening to the podcast that don't know, the bears played at Wrigley for 50 years and they were able to squeeze a almost regulation size field in the Wrigley field. The exception being is on the first base side when part of the end zone was cut off by the dugout. So in the old films, in the old pictures, you see basically plywood covering the first base side dugout. And and the reason why they played at Wrigley instead of, say, Soldier Field, in part was because Papa Bear was cheap and uh, he didn't have to pay rent. So he just paid a percentage of the concessions. And, you know, that's how football was back then. But when uh, the leagues merged, they had to move to a new stadium and they've been in Soldier Field ever since. And. You know, it's a whole other conversation with them moving up to Arlington Heights. But the more you know with Greg Smith. Exactly. I, you know, my wife, I drive my wife nuts. We were you know, talking about travels. I was in uh, D.C. last week and uh, pretty much boring my wife to death on a lot of little things, a lot of subtle nuance, you know, a lot of minor trivia, especially when you're we like, went to the. <laughs> you're the Cliff Clavin. I literally, yeah, podcasting. I am. I am. <laughs> And uh, so we went to the Air and Space Museum. And if you've if you've been to DC, right? I have not. Oddly no. enough, I have not been to DC. Yeah. Cool thing about DC is especially the Smithsonian. You know, we were there a couple of days, walked up and down the mall, Lincoln. You know, from the Lincoln Memorial all the way to the Capitol, and that was a surreal feeling. Just knowing after everything happened, you know, January sixth, and just it felt like we were in the eye of the hurricane. Yeah. And that's the only way to describe it. It was very surreal. I was in DC on 9-11 and I had a much different experience. And obviously that day changed the world completely. And for me, you know, I still had memories of, of seeing that smoke coming, you know, the aftermath of the, the plane crash in the Pentagon, seeing it from the mall and, and just kind of witnessing history firsthand, which in turn that day ended up leading me a couple of few years later, I, you know, spending a year in Iraq. Um but getting back to no, I bored the crap out of my wife at the Smithsonian Air and Space, which was very cool because you got to see the Wright brothers' original plane, you got to see uh, a Soyuz capsule, you got to see the one thing they did not have there was the Apollo Eleven spacecraft uh, with the command module, which apparently they had moved because they're doing construction. And I, I wasn't so much disappointed because here in Chicago we have the Apollo Eight one, and it's been here for years, so. Technically, that's the first man. That's the first man capsule that's been to the moon. So I didn't feel I didn't feel too cheated. And you know, talking football, um, at the gift shop at the hotel we stayed, they were still selling Redskin stuff, which I thought was weird. Hmm. Yeah, there yeah was, that is kind of. I uh, so my wife's like, uh, "What are you doing?" I go, "I am buying this now because, you know, it was fifty percent off." So I got myself a nice Redskins hat, a couple you know knit caps, and a. Um, one of those 47 brand caps and yeah, life was good for me. And, uh, but there well, was, you know, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. No, I would just say uh, along those lines, I might've already told you this. 
this was maybe a week after the original XFL folded back in yeah. you know 2000. And I'd gone, there was a sporting goods store in Birmingham called Hibbets, and I was going in there to get golf balls or something totally unrelated. And I just looked up and they had this big sign, you know, fire sale or whatever. They had uh, NFL footballs for $12 and all the caps of the eight teams were $2. Really? So old Scooter here bought him a football and eight caps for, you know, whatever that was, $22 or something. Now, were these I mean, the ca- are these like the caps, like I like to wear the, the relax fit, or are these different types of caps? No, these these were good, solid. I, I think I forget what the, the name brand was, but, I mean, these were these were the quality caps, and the ball was the official ball with the white lace, not the replica ball with the silver lace. I mean, it was an yeah, actual that. game ball. So, yeah, I've I jumped got, on that. Yeah. I got, you know, eBay is a horrible – I mean, eBay is a dangerous place for me. But um, I ended up buying, there's only a few XFL jerseys I do not have. Again, version 1.0. And I got the the smaller version of the ball and I got the larger version of the ball. And I got a few mini, I got that like mini helmets too. So I gave, I bought two mini helmet sets. I gave one set to my nephew. God only knows what he did with them, but I kept the other set. And, you know, I'm like you, man, I, I just love, you know, that's the one thing about football and, you know, my, and, and my man cave, which is in the process of slowly being packed up for, for the next destination. I, I told my wife, I go, you know, everything is negotiable in terms of what we're taking with us overseas, but not the football stuff. Yeah. 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 That's like, you know, I've, I've had that conversation with my wife too. I'm thinking, you know, especially at my age, why do I need all this stuff? And I don't, obviously I don't need any of it, but right. there are times I like to just walk in here into the fan cave and sit down and, and I've had friends joke, you, you know, because I tell them it's just a happy place for me and they go, how can it be happy? Cause everything's dead. They're all dead football yeah. leagues, dead hockey leagues, you know, everything else, but it's well, still, it just brings back good memories. Well, and it makes you feel young again too. I mean, yeah. um, you know, we've got, you know, coming up next week, we've got Ron Snyder coming on talk about his book on the stallions and then also too, we've uh, we've got another guest coming on at the beginning of December, Rich Podolsky, who is going to be talking with us about uh, the NFL today. Which, you know, when I still hear that music from the 1970s, it takes me back to being a kid and turning on watching Jimmy the Greek, watching Brett Musburger, Phyllis. I actually I was more of a Jane Kennedy fan, but you know, watching that whole crew because you know back then. You know, I, I'm, and you and I have had these conversations, and I'm, I'll, I'll say straight up, there's too much pregame nowadays. Too much pregame, yeah, not enough NFL film stuff. And back then, you got both, just enough pregame and the perfect mix of NFL films, and you were set to go for the noon kickoff. Yeah, I mean, my thing now, I don't even, I don't even watch the pregame. I mean, it's just absurd. There's so much of it. But yeah, back back in the and that was kind of the beginning of, uh, of the NFL, I guess, for us is being not just a football game and also entertainment, you know, yeah, so that kind yeah. of, you know. Well, yeah, and, you I know, know. Well, like, you know, that was great, you know, with our conversation with, with Jeff here. Um, you know, we're all of that age where we remember when, you know, cable was just beginning. And so, I mean, you got your, at least I did growing up. I mean, we didn't have cable until after I left for college. So I saw football the old fashioned way being via an antenna and a little bit of snow in the background. So oh, yeah. I, I, I get remember very, that well. Yeah. So, well, listen, guys, 
without further ado, and you know, uh, without further ado, we're gonna pass. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna Scott and I are gonna stop here and uh, let everybody listen to our interview that we did earlier this morning with Jeff Perlman. And we will be back next week and the week after that. And hopefully uh, you're going to hear a little bit more from us. Not like not probably not like the volume we put out over the summer, but a little bit more uh, regular interviews uh, as we go along into winter, uh, especially towards the Grey Cup and into NFL playoff time. So without further ado, here is Jeff Perlman. Jeff, thanks for joining us today. And, uh, you know, we're talking all USFL stuff today. And as you know, we, we, you and I, all three of us, I think are in agreement in terms of just where we're at presently with the new league coming out. So we want to talk to you about the old league and everything about, you know, football for a buck is one of my favorite books. And I know it's one of Scott's favorites. And, um, so, Hey, that's why we're here. And, uh, you know, as, as uh, the senior writer here, I will let Scott lead off with the first question today. <laughs> yeah, you know, when I was reading your blog years ago, you had mentioned that uh, I guess what led to your book about the USFL was a thesis that you did in high school. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was kind of interesting because when I was in college in 1980, I took a business class and we had to do a paper where we proposed a business. So I proposed a spring professional football. League. I didn't realize that Dave Dixon had already done that. But when I read your blog and, and saw that you had written something about that, that was uh, that was really fun to know that that was kind of the jumping off point for you to really you know take such a deep dive into the USFL. I just want to say, first of all, how do you know David Dixon didn't steal the idea from you? Ooh, yeah, that would be one of those time time machine things. <laughs> um, yeah, I was. Um, I'm probably like you guys. I was a huge USFL geek. Like I love the USFL and I was all about it. And I am, um, I was in high school. Well, I remember when the USFL came out and I remember the cover of sports. And I'm not just saying this, I can picture it in my head right now. It was Herschel Walker, new general's Jersey uniform. And it said hitting pay dirt. And that was the cover. And then you open the magazine and it was all the helmets in like a space like background. And I, I used to, um, my parents wouldn't get Sports Illustrated because it was too expensive. So I used to go to the mail pack public library in my hometown. And I just remember opening that issue and being like, oh, whoa. And it's funny how like the things that do it for you when you're a kid, you know, like things that now as we're older, maybe wouldn't have the same, holy cow, like mind blowing experiences looking at these helmets and thinking like, wait, what? There's another league. They got Herschel Walker. Like that's insane. And, and, um, so you fast forward, the league dies and it sucks. And um, I'm a senior in high school. My English teacher is a guy named Mr. Height. This is Mail Pack High School. And he says, we all have to do a, it was an AP English, I think. And it's like, we have to do a senior thesis. He called it a thesis. The thesis was, 
<laughs> 20 pages, that's be 20 pages. And I pitched the downfall of the USFL. And he was like, I remember him being like, he was a sports fan, but he's like, do you re really? Is that what you really want to write about? I was like, yes. And I handed in 40 pages, downfall of the USFL. And I just now, as, a, as an adult, and as someone who's been an adjunct, adjunct professor, I always think of poor Mr. Height getting this 40-page paper. <laughs> like, I wouldn't want to read a 40-page paper written by me now, but, you know, 18-year-old me, I mean, can you imagine being this guy? I'm sure he's like, yeah, okay, that's good. That's good, B. Next. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it started. And I've always, paper, had to made, made that experience. And I just want to say one thing I remember from that is I, um, I had, you guys have probably seen these, the old, I don't have one here, but the old US of L, they used to put out a sporting, the sporting news used to put out an annual. Oh, yeah. US of L annual. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. On the back of them, weirdly, they had the phone number to the US of L offices. Right? And in my little 18 year old head, I just thought I'm going to call and maybe someone will answer a phone. And this is 1990. So the lead died five years, technically four years earlier. I remember calling the number and getting an answering machine message. Hey, you have reached the USFL. Leave a message. And I was like, hi, my name is Jeff Perlman. I'm a senior. And I'm sure it's like, I really am sure because they certainly weren't leasing offices in midtown Manhattan anymore. I'm sure it was like an answering machine in somebody's basement, you know, like whoever the, you know, Harry Usher's basement, somebody's basement. I never heard back. So I left multiple messages, never heard back. <laughs> so this probably would have been the uh, the caretakers of what was left of the league, including the phone line and uh, probably uh, unused tickets. A couple of footballs, a few helmets without decals, you know. Yeah. <laughs> a Donald well, Trump to pay, you know, a couple oh, of things. <laughs> oh, well, you know, with the USFL, and there's one thing, in a, and again, it's been a while since I've read the book, but – there's one thing about the USFL that always, when I talk to people, you know, again, when I talk to people now about the USFL, and I'm sure you've had the same looks, people just give a blank stare, don't remember it at all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously without getting into politics, but, you know, they're, you know, the lessons learned from the USFL, for those of us in the know, who remember what happened and how the USFL pretty much got driven into the dirt, um, so my question is, is in term with history, there's one player, historical player in the USFL that I don't think it's enough attention. And that's my favorite, Howard Cosell. When you were doing your research and everything, did Cosell come up quite a bit? Well, the main place he came up is during the trial because he, he was one of the key witnesses for the USFL and he was drunk on the stand. <laughs> oh, and, uh, yeah, and that did not help. It, it is funny that... I, this isn't quite what you asked, but like the the set of witnesses the U.S. about could have had versus did have was really a catastrophe. Like they had all these players ready to testify, they had different owners ready to testify, and they didn't call any of them. And that was this is not being political. That was Trump's Trump strategy with Harry Meyerson um, and with Roy Cohn before that. The two attorneys was Donald Trump's going to be the star witness, and then we're also going to call they call it um, Al Davis, and Al Davis was kind of a train wreck too. And they called Howard Cosell a drunk Howard Cosell. And instead of making it this really sympathetic case of this upstart league being stomped by the bully, which really was their best play if they were going to go through with this stupid lawsuit, that was their best play. We're an upstart. Right. The NFL is coming along and they're killing us and they're suffocating us. And you have one player after another come up on the stands and talk about, you know, you get the guys, I don't even know, you get the, uh, 
whoever the the Larry Canada's of the league who like this is my dream this place has given me a dream and the NFL has squashed us and killed us and um they didn't do that so they went with the drunk Howard Cosell a belligerent Donald Trump and a confused Al Davis and a couple of others and they lost sympathy so when I think of Cosell in the USFL I think of him actually harming the league by being a crappy witness who didn't add anything yeah I mean that's what you know as we all know what happened because Cosell died I mean just like within a few years after all that too and I know I think he was going through a lot of a lot of stuff but the old um the old stories go he was never he was never really sober for long so um <laughs> to hear that story because I didn't realize that he was pretty much loaded on the stand he died in 95 so it was about 10 years later okay but um that's not criticism just so you know he I just looked that up um <laughs> You know, the thing is, all right, if you think about it, if you really think about it, what's interesting is um, the three main witnesses, what they all had in common was enormous egos and, and narcissism. Again, that is not a political. I'm not trying to like dog on Trump as president. Right, but if right. you want, I'd rather not. But they, if you think about it, like Cosell, huge ego. Al Davis, huge ego. Yeah. Donald Trump, huge ego. And when you have witnesses who make it about themselves. Right. Like Trump was a very bad witness. And again, I say for a minute, that's not me being political like years later. That's talking to jurors, one in particular, who was like, he was belligerent. He tried to bully us. He tried staring us down. Um, it was He made it about him. And so those witnesses, again, instead of having the sympathetic plight of poor player living their dream, having the plight of calling up guys who the NFL tried bribing away from the USFL, yeah. you know, calling yeah. poorer owners, um, who were being, you know, bullied by the NFL, they didn't take that route. They took it, they decided to make it a very warlike affair and they got destroyed. Um, you know, oh, go ahead. Oh, go, ahead sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying when, you know, when the trial happened, I guess I was 25 years old at the time. So I was a little more aware of the world. But the one thing that bothered me, you know, yeah, I wanted the USFL to win the trial. I wanted the Birmingham Stallions to continue forever. But I kept thinking, you know, they're moving to the fall, so this is going to fail. I mean, even if they win the trial and win all this money, it's like, does that mean that all these networks automatically just have to start throwing money at this new league? I mean, I, I never wanted it to leave the spring, and then when they went to trial, knowing that they were going to leave and go to the fall, I thought, well, great, maybe they'll but how long will they last? One year, two years, and then when will the NFL absorb the top two teams or whatever? I mean, I just – you know, to me, even if they won – as a fan who, you know, didn't really have skin in the game other than just, you know, really rooting for the stallions. I thought even if they won, they eventually were going to lose. It was, um, it was upsetting when you were saying that I was thinking like as a fan, not as a guy who wrote a book or a journalist, like it was just upsetting because it was so selfish. And so it was never about the good of the league long-term. It really was about forcing a merger with the NFL. And right. I guess that's fine and whatever, if that's your goal, but like, there were people like the three of us who love the USFL and I really love the product. And there were guys, so many guys who this was their dream and they were getting paid to play professional football and they were loving it. And I would understand owners, like I would completely understand owners being like, I, I can't keep affording to lose money like this. I need to be out fine. But this idea that we're going to go to it, may, the idea we're going to go to the fall. Okay. We're going to go to the fall. Half of our teams, more than half of our teams are in NFL cities already. So that immediately, you can't have the Houston Gamblers and the Houston Oilers. You cannot win that. 
can't have, certainly can't have the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Pittsburgh Maulers. You can't win that. Like there's no, you couldn't win. There was no win. And the thing that pissed me off about Trump, why I to the book is he's basically lying to the other owners and saying, oh, I've talked to the TV guys and they all say this is going to be great. None of them said it was great. None of them said it was great. Like they didn't want the, the three major networks did not want the USFL in the fall. And they were right. It was a stupid idea. Why would you broadcast U.S. of in the fall? From a just from a fan standpoint, I to this day, like I wrote that book with a lot of joy and a little bitterness. And the right. bitterness was because I felt like you want you want to in your idealistic little kid mind, you want to think that they care about the fan and they care about you. And I don't think that was never about the fans. It was just about greed and wanting to be a part of the NFL. Right. And if, if did the USFL, did they have a, was there an offer on the table for them to continue in the spring from any of the networks beyond 85? I mean, they had a deal with ABC and ESPN. They had the same deal they were going through though. No one's going to change the deal. And they were trying to negotiate um, with the networks to obviously switch the fall. And ESPN and ABC had a strictly spring deal. So they still had a TV deal with the, uh, okay. because the presumption was, is this going to continue in the spring? So uh, once once they decided to move the ball, though, all TV deals were, were dead. It was contingent about on spring football. Right. So there was money coming in with the TV deal had they stayed where they were. Yeah. But it wasn't, the thing is, it wasn't like, it wasn't like modern day TV money. Like right. it was good money. It was a good deal. A lot of the owners thought the uh, that Chet Simmons, the original commissioner, didn't push hard enough to get a better TV deal, but I don't know. You're an upstart league with no track record whatsoever, and your games are being tele- televised on um, ESPN and ABC. It's pretty freaking good. Yeah. Oh, and I remember looking when they, you know, were still saying, "Okay, we are play in 1986, and we have our schedule." And I remember looking at the Birmingham Stallion schedule. Yeah. They had a game scheduled on Christmas Day which in, in Birmingham, which would have drawn about 20 people. Um, and they had several games that would be going to head to head against Alabama and Auburn football games. You know, they were, they were just trying to work around the NFL schedule. And it was just, just seeing that I'm thinking this is a disaster. I mean, because really the stallions, their last season, you know, as much as it was great football, I think they only averaged like 25,000 fans a game. And if they had moved to the fall, you know, you're probably dealing with 10, 12,000 people a game, maybe. I think one thing they didn't think about, or maybe they did and just didn't care, was so like a lot of people would point to that third season and say, well, attendance was down and blah, blah, blah. But you basically told everyone, you basically by announcing you're moving to fall, you basically told everyone this league probably doesn't really matter anymore. So, right. you know, and that really reduces incentive to attend a game when you think you're attending a game, you're basically attending a funeral. So, like a lot of the, the, the USFL's best season football-wise was 1985. You had the best players. It was really Absolutely. exciting. Some of those teams definitely could have been not great NFL teams, but average to slightly poor NFL teams. But the you, in Houston, why am I going to go see the gamblers when I know they're not going to be here a year from now? Like, what's why do I even care about this? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the, the last game that Birmingham played was against Baltimore in the playoffs. And the whole time I'm sitting at Legion Field, I'm thinking this most likely is the last time I'm ever going to see the Birmingham Stallions play. Yep. And, you know, it was a brutally hot day in, in July or whatever. And there were only like 20,000 fans there, but 
I thought, man, this sucks. If this is their last game, this is this is a really sad way to go out. But, but it's for the reasons you mentioned. There, there were people who were already, I guess, sort of cutting their ties because they knew that the end was coming. I remember uh, interviewing Joe Cribbs, who was a running back. He came over from the NFL, really, really good player, former Auburn player. And he, uh, he told me, like, that last season, it just didn't really feel like professional football uh, atmosphere-wise. Um, and I think that was self-inflicted, you know? And it's like, you're Joe Cribbs, and you're used to playing in front of 60,000 fans in Buffalo. And you come to this new league in the first year, he was there in 84, is great. And you're, you feel it. You feel what's working here. And then uh, one year later, it's just like a deflated balloon. Yeah, I was at the Bur- the Stallion season opener in 84 was against the Generals at Legion Field, and I think it drew 62,000. Yeah. And that was just, to me, at, at that time in my life, that was the greatest football atmosphere I'd ever experienced because the Generals had, you know, Herschel Walker, Brian Sight, Stallions are coming on strong. They have, you know, you had the hope that they were going to have a good season. And just being in that atmosphere with all those fans who were really into a great professional football game on a Sunday afternoon, I mean, that was, you know, for somebody like me, I wasn't a kid anymore, but I was still young enough to really revel in being a fan. And that was just a tremendous experience. I'll tell you something interesting about that. So a year later, I had to look this up, but I remembered it. The, the third game of the season, the Generals were back in Birmingham. They played the Birmingham Stallions. And this is 85 now. And the uh, New Jersey Generals have Doug Flutie as their And Don, they already had sight, but Trump, you know, he has to go for the golden whatever race. So he goes for Doug Flutie. And he makes him the highest paid player in football history, which is obviously insane. And uh, he was interviewed by Keith Jackson before the game. And Donald Trump was talking about how you can already see Doug Flutie is paying all these dividends. Look at this. Look at this crowd. This is amazing. This is Doug Flutie. And the crowd was 20,000 smaller, I think, than the year before <laughs> generals visiting Birmingham. It was just all a freaking con, you know? It was like just a con. And I used to say, when I was researching the book, it was when Trump was talking about the, the wall, building the wall, build the wall, right. build the wall. And Doug Flutie, I always say, was the wall before the wall because Donald Trump signed him and then sent a letter to all the other owners saying, you should be paying. You pay for Doug Flutie because I brought him here, but you, it's, it's great, it's great, I've got him, but you're going to pay for him. And kind of like Mexico, the rest of the owners are like, yeah, I don't, I don't really think so. We're not paying yeah. for this. Well, it's funny, you bring that up during that whole campaign. So I would sit down and we would talk politics and I'd be like, you know what, this this whole wall idea has been brought up before. And I brought up the, your Doug Flutie, you know, your book and about Doug Flutie. And it's amazing, just like the disconnect on generations. I mean, so we're yep. all of the same age. We remember high school. I mean, but the younger generation, the lessons of the USFL and bringing that up, they're like, what? No, no, can't be true. And I mean, your book got at least my copy of your book got handed around quite a bit for people to read about this is this is this is history this is why sports history at least in you know in 2016 matters um but the whole issue of him i mean realistically what did the owners the owners if i remember correctly the owners basically told trump basically to go screw himself i wasn't going to use screw but yes they actually said <laughs> where the rhymes was puck uh, <laughs> yeah, of course they did. It was ridiculous, but it's weird though. It isn't true. You know, I'm not judging anyone if you're a Republican or Democrat. Truly, right? In the in that little vacuum of time, his ability 
to sort of bully people into doing what he wanted and run over people to do what he wanted, in my opinion, is the, probably the number one factor for the USFL is he has this Svengali type ability to get people to do what he says and to convince people this is the way to be. And I'm going to bully you and bully you and bully you. And that was the thing he did really well. I'm going to hammer this and hammer this and hammer this point over and over and over again until you guys agree. And the guy, I have his letter hanging, literally hanging on my wall here is the John Bassett letter. Oh yeah. Uh, Love John Bassett. Love John Bassett. John Bassett was a, I always say another parallel, like John Bassett, the owner of the Tampa Bay Bandits, was the one guy really willing to stand up to Trump and who saw through the BS. And when Don, when John Bassett was diagnosed with a brain tumor, I think Trump just saw it as an entrance way to stomp all over this guy, which he did. Yeah. And years later, when John McCain, also a guy willing to stand up to Trump, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Right. I thought what Trump did. He was as unsympathetic as a human being can be. He remains that way. And there's just so many parallels, so many parallels. Weird working on the book as you're running. And the funny thing is, I just want to say, I've been wanting to write this book for years. It ended up, people are like, oh, did you plan it? No, nothing to do with Donald Trump running for president. It was just the weirdest timing that this long ago owner became president of the United States. Right. And, and, and you, then, oh, go ahead. I'm Go ahead, Scott. I'm sorry. No, I'm just saying that, you know, one of the things that I said, he owned the Birmingham Bulls and the World Hockey Association. So he was kind of, you know, sort of, had developed a, a lot of fans, you know, down here even before the USFL. But yeah, that that's one thing that you know. I mean, Trump has always been vile, and the way he treated Bassett was horrific. But you know, looking back, I always wished God if there were just three or four owners with the balls of Bassett. Who knows? You know, maybe things would have would have turned out a little differently. Wait, and I swear to God, I I guess I will get a little political. I. I think that same thing about Liz Cheney now. If there were just three or four more people like Liz Cheney who are willing to stand up right. and not be bullied. I can't stand the bullying. Like that's the number one thing I can. I hate it with the USFL. I hate it now in politics. I hate that people give in to bullies. I hate it with my kids in school. You know, I hate the bullying. And I feel like what he did in the USFL was really bully these other owners. And it's amazing because they were wealthy men. Um you know, it was a time period, they're all white men, older white men who had success in real estate or this or that or that. And he just came along and he, he was younger than most of them, but he had that new, I'm from New York. I get it. He had that like New York rashness and that, Hey, screw you. And this is what we're doing. And he would dress you down and you'd have these genteel owners who were like, Whoa, and I guess. Oh, I guess I got to listen to this guy. And all right, I don't want to, I don't want to cause any. And all of a sudden you down and they're moving to fall. You're like, what, what, you know, how did that happen? You, the owner, like the owner of the Pittsburgh Maulers, Eddie DeBartolo Sr., voted yes to move to the fall. What does that tell you? Like there's no, there's no, Jerry Argovitz, Houston Gambler's owner, voted to move to fall. Like, do you realize there's another football team that plays in this stadium, right? In the fall, that has a guy named Earl Campbell that's much popular, more popular than you are. Like what, is this ridiculous? Well, and it, it, it boggles the mind. I mean, I, you know, their only hope, obviously, was the lawsuit, winning that lawsuit. And of course, we all know hindsight looking, there was no chance in hell they were gonna they were gonna win it. But were they that short sighted in the sense that they couldn't see beyond you know five feet in front of them that this was they were bound to lose it no matter what? I think um, I think you had different things. I don't think Trump really cared either way. 
he's caught, you know, you saw the 30 for 30 that Mike Tolan did. Like he dismissed his yeah. small potatoes. And I think to him, if, if he won, he, got an, he gets an NFL franchise. That's awesome. And if they lose, eh, it's just another investment to me. I don't care. But with that, I do think I, I, oh, oh, go ahead. But with that said, Pete Rozell was the commissioner at the time. And Pete Rozell made it very clear yep. he was not getting into the NFL. Correct. Um, but he was, again, I would say if you want to look at Trump's keys to success, I actually say this sincerely. Yeah. The guy doesn't take no for an answer and he charges mm-hmm. ahead. And so Roselle says you and your heirs will never be a part of the NFL. And he basically like, it's kind of weird actually in a way, like he doesn't even hear it. It's kind of keeps going and keeps <laughs> charging ahead, you know, try telling a bull he can't have any more, you know, any more whatever broccoli or, you know, whatever bulls eat. He's not going to be like, Oh, that makes sense. He's just going to go for it and try to get it. Trump is the same way. Uh, as you know, taking a look at, at just what the USFL accomplished, you know, years later, I think, you know, Greg alluded to it earlier. A lot of kids don't really realize that, you know, when you see the two point conversion and the coaches challenge and just salaries in general, that's just the way it is. But that wasn't the way it was until the USFL came along. And that's another, you know, thing that happened with that league. I even think like, run and shoot offense, you know, like the wide open sets is the USFL. Like you said, coach challenge, two point conversion. Also just the influx of players, about 200 guys from the USFL wound up on it. I always say that the cool one, I have to remember to get the names right, but when the Washington Redskins beat Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl in, I think it was 87, Doug Williams, former Oklahoma outlaw was a quarterback touchdown. He threw four touchdown passes in that game. Kelvin Bryant, Philadelphia Baltimore Stars caught one. Ricky Sanders caught one. And uh, Gary Clark caught one. Those guys were U- USFL refugees yep. to the NFL. So the impact of the of the USFL and the NFL in that little sliver tells you how big it was. Right. I mean, it was high-quality football. That was the one thing I remember, you know, growing up watching the game. It's like, yeah, these guys can play. I mean, it's different, you know, watching, say – you know what the XFL was in 2001 when you realize, you know, these guys couldn't even, you know, could barely, couldn't even make the practice squad on most players, but it was high quality yeah. football for the three years it was there. I agree hundred percent. I love the USFL. I loved researching the book and like watching old clips of the USFL. I love the first game ever. The first game ever was the uh, Chicago blitz and the Washington federals. I watched that and- game. Yeah. I love that game. It's a terrible game, but I love like the blitz knew everything that was coming. Cause you know, George Allen was their coach and he was dirty and he cheated and he sent, he sent <laughs> guys in us about jackets to videotape their practices and they just everything Washington was going to play. But like, there's such a cool, I love the opening three minutes of that game when Lou Rawls is singing the national anthem and Jim Lampley is in the booth. Yeah. He's basically saying, I don't know what's going to happen, but we'll take a shot on spring and see how it goes. And, I remember being a kid. I really remember being a kid. To someone the other day, it's like um, music, food, and sports are three things that can take us back. Where all of a sudden right. you hear something, you see something, and you just have that feeling again. It just overtakes your body. And when I watched that Federal's Blitz, I remember being a kid in front of the TV watching, you know, watching this first game and seeing the Washington Federals in their weird green uniforms and the blitz with the, the Z, the blitz with the Z, mm-hmm. you know, and just being like, this is so freaking cool. So that, I love that. I love that. I love that YouTube has so many of those games on. Yeah. Uh, on TV. And speaking and, and of since the, we're all logo. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Scott. I'm sorry. 
I'd like where this no, question saying, is since we're, yeah, <laughs> since we're all logo nerds, I was at the first Monday night game, which was the Stallions when they hosted the Michigan Panthers. And when I saw the Michigan Panthers helmets, I thought, my oh. God, that's the greatest logo in the history of logos. I mean, forget that it was a 9-7 game and it was pretty boring and it was played in, in sleep. But, you know, those uniforms were great. I've never forgotten how wonderful the Michigan Panthers uh, unis were. Also, their colors were – it wasn't like – they could have just said we're purple and whatever. They were champagne and whatever. They <laughs> champagne. And cream. We're champagne, cream, and something else. Yeah. yeah. Burgundy was, or something. There was Dope only things. one color the USFL didn't have, and, and Scott and I talk about this a lot. We're both big World Football League fans of the magenta of the Southern California sun. So that yeah. was the that's the one color – and my wife hates the color, so I love it even more just because my wife hates it. Yeah. Um, my, I was, I love the San Antonio gunslingers uniforms, just that mixture. Oh. Yeah. I mean, cause they're so preposterous. Like those uniforms were factually preposterous. Like they right. were, um, the guy who looks like Woody, except he looks like a crack addict on the helmet. Yeah. <laughs> I was a huge, um, I thought when the, this is really nerdy, but I thought when the Oklahoma outlaws moved to Arizona and kind of spiced up their uniforms, they were really badass. And I also liked the Arizona Wrangler with the brand, the W oh, brand yeah. on the helmet. Mm-hmm. Those are cool. Yeah. See, that's um, that's one thing I didn't like about I mean, I, I love the Stallions, but I didn't like their logo. It was like a really tired horse. Yeah, and okay. I know when they named them the Stallions, I thought, oh, this will be cool. I have like, you know, three or four Stallions on their helmets, and there'll be, you know, some sort of smoke or something. And then you just see this little horse kind of, you know, yeah. on the side. They were of the definitely helmet. not. There's no one in the world who's like best U.S. of L helmet, Birmingham Stallions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The generals, I was from New York. The generals are the same way. It was like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I did like Jacksonville, though. Jacksonville oh. and that their helmet, not only with the helmet, but just the fan support down there. And it, you know, to hear talk about Jacksonville now in the NFL, you know, people forget that back in the heyday, that was where the USFL, I mean, you talk about a team that's uh, a town that supported its USFL team, Jacksonville did. Well, you can also say we well, were talking about the impact before. Yeah. And um, Jacksonville isn't an NFL franchise. There's no Jacksonville Jaguars in Jacksonville if the Jacksonville Bulls weren't there. It wasn't even right. Jacksonville is a ridiculous NFL city in a lot of ways, like size wise. It's not really an NFL city. It's a college football town. There's a lot of where it'd be, in a way, it's a poor man's Birmingham. As far as like where where should we have an NFL team? It's not as cool a city as Birmingham. Um, it doesn't have as passionate a fan base for football as Birmingham. There's not a history of football like there is not the same way as there is in Birmingham. But the Bulls came along, and they really jacked it up, and they people love that team. And they did something smart, which is the colors of the team were Florida State, Florida, and Georgia combined, which I thought was kind of cool. And also like oh, yeah. they were really fun. Lindy Infante was their coach. They ran a really fun brand of football. They were high flying. They brought in a lot of cool, you know, and they brought in Mike Rozier and they had Brian Sipe and Keith Lard was there. Like they, they definitely tried. Yeah, and Larry uh, Zonk, I think was part owner, wasn't he? Or he yeah, I talked to Larry Zonk. Hey, one of the coolest things about research in this book um, was just the crazy number of people you talked to. I talked to. Like Larry Zonka. Oh, Larry, you know, it's like Larry Zonka was the, <laughs> the GM of the, of the uh, Paul Larry Zonka. And like, it was just a who's who besides like the Steve Youngs, who was great. And Jim Kelly and Doug Williams, guys were great. But like the weirdness of like Larry Zonka, like what's he doing there? I love that stuff. 
Randy yeah, cuts his thumb to be on the cover of one of their programs, I believe, didn't he? To I think there's a program of a guy holding a helmet, Zonka, who'd cut his thumb so it would bleed. <laughs> Is that true? Able- I believe so. Yeah, I, believe- I didn't know he that one. Did that you got me a photo that shoot. Yeah. Oh, that's did awesome. you did you talk to Dan Jiggets up here in Chicago about his days with the Blitz? Yeah, I did because Dan Jiggets told me. Wait, did I? Yeah. There's a story in the book about, I'm trying to think if I got it from him. I think I got it from, yeah, I must've got it from him where he's, um, the, cause the whole, the greatest thing in the USL ever, ever is the Blitz Wranglers trade. It's yeah. the best thing ever because it's one <laughs> of the, it's so preposterously pathetic that it's awesome. You know, it's one of those things. It's so bad. It's good. And you know, the, the owner of the, uh, Blitz in 83 is Ted Dietrich, who's an Arizona based surgeon. And he doesn't want to keep flying to Chicago for games. So he, the big solution is let's just trade everybody for each other. It's so preposterous. Like it doesn't, I don't really want to make these, I'm a wealthy man. I don't want to make three hour flights nine times a year. So how about we just swap the franchises? Oh, okay. That's a great idea. Let's do that. And, and um, Jiggets told me the, the new blitz were owned by a guy named James Hoffman who had far less money than anyone thought he had. And the new blitz were terrible. They were the old Wranglers. They were a terrible team. Marv Levy was a coach. Yep. He Marv Levy was unaware that he was taking over this crappy team. He thought he was getting the good blitz. <laughs> he had no idea. He's just hired to coach the blitz. He looks at the paper. He's like, oh, they were pretty good. They were 12 and 6 last year, whatever they were. And um Dan Jiggets Dan Jiggett told me after I think it was a third game, maybe, talking off the field, talking to James Hoffman, who's the owner of the team. And Hoffman's like, uh, yeah, I'm taking off. And Jiggets is like, oh, where are you going this weekend? He's like, no, I'm done. What, what do you mean? I, I just, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to own this team anymore. So I'm just leaving. He literally just like, he treated the Chicago Blitz like he was driving a 72 Buick with like a wheel falling off. It. And it's just like, I'm just going to leave this on the side of the road and hitchhike home. Just <laughs> <laughs> dump the team and the league at the table. Free to good home. And wait, and the best part is the, uh, the GM of the team then he i forgot what led this but he's in his office calling different local sports radio stations he's locked in his office i think he'd just been fired after hoffman left and he's basically calling everyone going like this place is crazy this place is crazy we gotta get out of here this place is crazy it's like the best they almost got walter payton walter payton almost signed with the blitz before that year really which would have yeah which would have been a disaster because they offered him money they couldn't pay so Walter Payton was about to break the NFL's all-time rushing leader. If there's one guy who shouldn't have gone to the USFL, it's Walter Payton. Right. And well, they got Vince Evans, if I recall. I would say Vince Evans is no Walter Payton. <laughs> right. True, true, true. <laughs> and um, he almost jumps, and he wouldn't have broken the NFL. Well, he probably – I mean, I don't know what would have happened. He would have five games. The checks wouldn't have cleared, and he probably would have gone back to the Bears. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then, of course, there's the gunslingers, too. I mean, your stories about the gunslingers – I mean, that's a, I mean, it's a chapter unto itself, which is fascinating to read. Um, and it's no wonder why the NFL hasn't gone back to hasn't tried going back to San Antonio after reading, reading that chapter. I mean, the best thing, about <laughs> what was it that, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. It's like, I know I'm just saying it wasn't that the one where news, new Heisel was talking about how when it was payday, everybody just made a mad rush yeah. to the bank, just, just to make sure that there was money there. The best <laughs> thing you sometimes when you, these, these things you find little 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 nuggets of information and you're like that is the best thing ever 
The San Antonio Gunslingers once put a guy on the injured list because he slams his penis in a trunk. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, there's, wait, there's a lot to unpack there. Wait, the Gunslingers... <laughs> the Gunslingers signed a punter because the owner of the team, he was the owner's ranch hand and he had punted in high school. His nickname was Bucky. And the owner was dissatisfied with the punter they had at the time. So he signed the ranch hand and forces him. Uh, Jim Bates was a coach and says to Jim Bates, here's your new punter. Jim Bates says, who is this guy? He's my ranch hand, but he was really good in high school. And, he, <laughs> and then he shows up in practice and he can't punt more than like 15 yards without the thing shanking off his foot. Oh, jeez. I love everything about that team. That team, that could be a, a movie. That could be a book unto itself. I don't think enough people would buy it for it to be a sustainable book. But well, it almost fun. sounds like a plot line. I mean, what was it? Um, North, oh, God, it was one of those. North horrible. Dallas 40. North Dallas yeah. 40. Yeah, yeah, something, yeah. Or yeah, a million yeah. movies. It's a million movies. It's Major League. It's North Dallas 40. It's the replacement, replaceables, whatever that was called. Yeah, it's a million of those movies. Yeah. <laughs> it's real. Um, now, with... That with that said, I mean there were other franchises, and the Denver Gold. I mean, when you had debt with the Denver Gold, that was pretty. That was a pretty stable franchise, wasn't it? It was first two years. They were great. They were one of the. They were the first team in the U.S. about to make money. Actually, yeah, I think they were the only team in '83 who turned a profit. Okay, um, and also they went about it a very wise way. If you look at the Denver Gold and you think, oh, who's the big player in the Denver Gold? Harry Sidney, probably. You know, like they had Vince Evans right. for a while, um, Bob Gagliano, like they weren't going after huge, huge stars. And that was a smart way to go. Slow and steady wins a race. And, and they had Red Miller too. I think he was coaching it. Then Craig Morton coached it too. Yeah, Red Miller got fired after I was trying to strangle the general manager. Uh, never okay. a good idea. Never a good idea to <laughs> try to strangle the general manager. But yeah, they the the Denver goal were great, but then the third year again, attendance right. plummeted. Because you know you're not going to be watching this team next year because they're not going to you're not going to pick them over the Broncos to play in fall football. So, yeah. And then you know, talking about Denver, that first title game out in Denver, I didn't realize that there was a riot after the game until so, I read your book. It's the best. I am. Um, <laughs> I'm telling you that the joy of research is like you're going along and you think you know, and then you realize you don't know. Like I didn't remember that at all. And then I old New York Daily News clip about people rioting. And then you start talking to people. I talked to a woman who was the, the publicist for the USFL. And she's in the press box working. The, it's a post game. And she's handing out in post game in a press box. You hand out sheets with stats and information. And someone's like, there's a riot on the field. And she's like, what? And she turns around. There's like police hitting kids with billy clubs and like dogs. And this is like, it's so USFL. Like this is USFL's great moment. This game was awesome. You have this definitive moment of Anthony Carter leaping into the end zone. And scoring on this, you know, jolt down the field, Bobby Bear hitting him with it. The, the two great teams of the USFL, two legitimately great football battling back and forth. Sam Mills and, you know, all these guys and Chuck Fusina and Kelvin Bryant. It's this great game. It's nationally televised. The Super Bowl at the time, the Super Bowl was one after another were not competitive. Right. This game was super competitive. It was beautiful. Mm -hmm. And then there's a riot on the field. Yeah. And then you read the next day stories. And a lot of them are about USFL held its first championship game yesterday marred by a riot that took place immediately <laughs> after it's like oh yeah yeah oh, man. yeah and uh but yeah but then you know so they what was it in 84 they had where was the title game in 84 wasn't that uh 
That wasn't in Denver, and that wasn't in New Jersey. They played that. It was in Arizona. It was in Arizona? Was, no, Arizona played that. You're testing me here. I would think of it, but I'm not sure. Yeah. So were there any other incidents like that after, I mean, that, that right after the first title game? Were there anything, I mean, crowd-wise, anything that comes to mind that happened after that? That uh... Oh, I mean, one of the best, um, one of the best is, I was trying to look up where the championship game was. One of the best was um, Cliff Stout returns to Pittsburgh. You're Cliff Stout of Birmingham Stout. Oh, yeah. Returns to Pittsburgh to play the Maulers in, in the second season. And um, Stout was hated in Pittsburgh. He'd been Bradshaw's backup. And started, and he sucked. Then he went to the Stallions, and Steeler fans were like, How's, how dare this guy? So they all show up with – Cliff Stout went into, went into town and, like, checked into his room without using his name because, you know, he was really nervous about – and it's an icy, cold day in Pittsburgh. And the game is – it wasn't a sellout, but it was close to a sellout just before Cliff Stout was coming back. And during the game, they're throwing ice chunks at him, and they're throwing frozen beer bottles at him. Um, and it was a total, complete disaster. You know? And then at the end of the game – at the end of that game, I think the end of the game, the Maulers coach Joe Pendry went to his car and the tires were slashed. It was a very oh, Pittsburgh. But it did not. It did not work out that way. Oh wow! Wow! I don't. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. No, it's amazing too. Just the difference in time. I mean, it's been forty years since then, and yeah, you know, I mean, you don't get those stories today. I mean, we've got crap that happens all the time, but the stories in your book were just. I mean. Literally, I mean, like you said, the USFL, the whole story of the USFL could be a movie unto itself with those stories. I agree. I just want to say Champions Game was played in Tampa. I don't know why I remember that. Oh, that's right. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, it's great. And the thing is, like, I just don't think we talked early about and before you started recording about the new, the quote, new USFL. Yeah. And I guess the thing I feel about this, because I, I have gotten asked about it a decent amount. It's like saying, like, it's all right. It's, if the members of kiss all died and they took they took gene simmons and paul stanley makeup and put on two guys who sounded who sang like them this is just an example right and you're like kiss is back kiss is back and it's like yeah but it's not it's not that's not kiss that's guys dressed up like kiss you know like that's not actually i'm not saying this as a kiss fan or i'm just saying as an example you know or Mm-hmm. The Rolling Stones are back. We have these guys. He looks just like Mick Jagger. Another guy looks just like Keith. They're back. Like you can't recapture what that. The beauty of the USFL was the weirdness of the USFL. Right. And that's what made it so cool. And that's why the stories are so funny. So like, I'm not against anyone trying to. I thought the uniforms were cool, so I think it's neat. But it's not the US. It's not just putting a name on it. You know, it's just kind of silly. It feels like a weird. But there aren't that many people like us who are that nostalgic for the USFL to even attempt to do that gimmick. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing with me. I mean, I wrote something the other day, which is basically just what you said. I mean, you know, I wish, I mean, especially with, you know, the hub being in Birmingham or whatever, I want it to succeed wherever it turns out to be, but yeah, you know, they're not going to sign the Heisman, the next Heisman trophy winner. They're not going to outbid the NFL for talent and they're not, you know, so those days are over and I wish they would call themselves something else, you know, and I know that's silly, but just, I have such a, you know, strong feeling and strong mind with the original USFL. If they'd gone ahead and called themselves the national spring football league, I would feel a whole lot better about it, but you know, but isn't it more, don't you find it more confusing than anything? Like, I don't even get why they're calling themselves the USFL. Like, again, like we're dinosaurs. Like there aren't that many people like us who are like, 
I guarantee you, like, nobody under the age of 35, 40, 40 is clamoring for the U.S. I love the U.S. of L. I wrote the book about the U.S. of L. Clearly, you guys love the U.S. of L. Um, but none of us are, none, no, no one besides us is clamoring for the return of the U.S. of L. So it's a weird choice. I just don't actually get it. Yeah. And also, too, with that said, I mean, with spring football and everybody's been trying to make spring football go, all of us have been, you know, can say, you know what, we've been there, done that. And history has shown that, you know, yeah, I mean, great, let's try it, but don't get your hopes up for it because it's just, I mean, the NFL has become so dominant now and, you know, we've become so fractured in terms of media. I mean, forget politics. I mean, just media in general, you've got 50 different choices just on one TV in terms of what you can watch. Well, that's a big thing. That's a huge thing. And also just the, um, like when the USFL came along, the NFL was a big sneaker. And now the NFL is like a steel-toed boot. Like right. it's so much more powerful as then. And the NFL has become a year-round endeavor. That's a huge difference too. Yeah. If it's not the games, it's the combine. If it's not the combine, it's the draft. If it's not the draft, it's free agency, which is a much bigger thing now. There really wasn't free agency back then. So mm-hmm. it's you have to have very, very low expectations if you have a spring football league. You're not going to compete with the NFL. You're not going to get great ratings. You're not going to get the best players. Um it's a it's a heavy 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 load to bear. Yeah, and even with that said, I mean, even the NFL with the World League of American Football and the NFL Europe, they couldn't even get spring football to to, yeah. to be successful. It's very hard. Also, I just want to say, I hope you guys have read it. Did you read the book that Paul Reith wrote about the USFL? Wait, say that again. There's a writer named Paul Reiths. I just want this book. Hold on. If you guys haven't read this book, did you read this? I have it. You know what? I I'm have not. it on my bookshelf, but I have not read oh, it. This book, I'm not kidding. If you're like a diehard, diehard USFL guy, this book, Paul Reeves wrote this book. It's so good. Like, it's super micro. It's all about the USFL and like the intricacies of the USFL. It came out, when I saw this book was coming out right before mine, I was crap. But it was like a small publisher and Paul wasn't that well known and blah, blah, blah. Right. It's so freaking good. It's so freaking good. And it, it's like, I always feel when I'm talking about the USFL, it's worth bringing up that there's this amazing also other book that came out around right. the same time. That's just as good as mine and also it, worth, and delves into these topics. Yeah. Is it comparable to um, the $1 league, which I mean, I have in my collection, Better. but I know it's, that's a hard book to get a hold a copy of nowadays. Yeah. It's uh, I have that book here too. It's um, it's better than the $1 league. Okay. Yeah. It's really good. It's super, super micro. Like if you really love the USFL, like my book, I would almost say like my book was more for a bigger audience. I was trying to, I, I couldn't, it was hard to justify a publishing deal and telling my, you know, how Mifflin publishers that only USFL fans are going to love this book. So I was much more about sort of the antics and the crazy. Right. It was much more about the nitty gritty of the league itself. It's really, really good. Anyway, I, I was like bringing this book up because it's freaking fantastic. Cool. Cool. And Hey, Scott, I'm going to let you feel the last question before we, we let Jeff go. So I know Jeff's got other podcasts to do today. And uh, so Scott, last question is yours. This better be a good question, Scott. (laughs) I don't know if it's good or not, but you know, for me, I keep thinking, okay, there is no move to the fall. The original USFL decides, okay, we're just going to stick to the spring. You know, in my fantasy world, I'm thinking, oh, we have year round football forever but I know that's probably not going to happen. Just, you know, just pure conjecture. How long do you think a league like that, had they stuck to their original plan, could have hung around before the NFL just decided to 
to kill it by, you know, absorbing franchises or whatever. I think eventually what would have happened and not that distant into the future, because you have to admit the NFL had a player strike a few years later. Um, and I think the USFL would have, if the USFL had remained on course a little bit, would have taken full advantage of that. And you'd see swooping up of a ton of players. Um, I think the NFL was really scared of the USFL. Like clearly they were scared of the USFL. You, you can't lose three high. What if they lost a fourth straight Heisman trophy winner and a fifth straight Heisman trophy winner? Right. What if, what if Bo Jackson comes out of Auburn and a functioning USFL, he remember Bo Jackson did not want to play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So let's say right. Bo Jackson can play for the Birmingham staff and he can live at home and he's, he's super close with his mom. I'm going to play in Birmingham. What if right. Bo Jackson, because then Herschel Walker, Bo Jackson, <laughs> those are bombshell signings. That's not Doug Flutie. He wasn't really going to be a great player or Mike Rozier, who's just a very good running back. Those are bombshell pillar signings. What if the USFL is doing that? Then the discussion in the NFL office has to be, has to be, we need, we, we, we just need to put an end to this. Let's, let's take Memphis. Let's take Birmingham. Let's take Jacksonville. Let's take Baltimore. And let's take one more team. And let's just make them an offer that will merge and we'll buy out the other teams and give them this money. We just need this away. And I do, I do think um, I, the USFL would not be around at this age, but the Birmingham Stallions would be. Maybe in the NFL, you might have a Super Bowl ring. Oh man, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, fun to, th- fun to think about, but still heartbreaking. It was, it was really. I mean, the funny thing about Trump challenging the NFL is he did it way too early. Right. He just did it too early. I mean, he did it wrong a million different ways, but he he didn't he. They weren't ready to. They weren't really weren't ready yet to challenge the NFL in the way they did, and it turned into a disaster. Right. Right. Yeah. So they had pretty much. I mean, a couple more seasons, it could have happened. I think so. I mean, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Well, Jeff, with that said, hey, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, what do you have before we let you go? What do you got? First of all, where everybody can find you. What What do you got coming out next? Because I know uh, when I first reached out to you, you were working on something. I do. Actually, I alluded to him. I'm doing a Bo Jackson biography. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and um, I, uh, I have a podcast called Two Writers Sling and Yang. And um I have a Substack newsletter at uh, perlman.substack.com. That's it. Easy peasy. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And uh, you've got some other great books too. I've read. And I know, you. Uh, you know, you've got the one on uh, Brett Favre is a great one. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah. Wait, true story about this. I just want to say my, the publishing house did not want a USFL book. And cause I pitched it, pitched it, rejected, rejected, didn't want it, didn't want it. And um, I pitched, I said, what if I do a Favre book? If I do a Favre book for a little less money, will you give me a deal to do the USFL book? And my agent literally said at one point, nobody wants an effing USFL book. And I was like, I want this book. And I pitched, so I attached it to Favre. And he said, you have to write Favre first. And I said, okay. So I wrote Favre, then wrote the USFL. The greatest moment probably of my writing career was the USFL book making the New York Times uh, bestseller list because nobody thought that was a book that could sell it off. And it just warmed my heart. It truly warmed my heart because I love the USFL and I love that people are asking me about the USFL and that somehow that keeps it at least memory-wise alive a little bit more. So yeah. that does a lot for me. Yeah. Well, well and it's and absolutely I, fantastic too. Yeah. I'm just a great and, book. And I love the book so much that, you know, anytime you were on TV, I tuned in. I even did a YouTube search because I wanted to hear more stories from you that maybe weren't in the book. So 
And when you were on Eisen show, that I mean, that was, you know, my wife's like, what are you doing? I go, no, I got to watch this. Cause this were you is the, uh, were you the creepy guy stalking me and saying, <laughs> no, like, that you, I think those letters, like I'm watching. You, <laughs> you look familiar. That uh, <laughs> no, I appreciate that. That's very kind of you. I really appreciate that. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Well, Jeff, thank you very much. And stay, you know, stand by before we let you, we'll, we're going to sign off here, but we'll talk to you on the flip side of this. And uh, again, thank you very much for joining us. All right. My pleasure. Thank you. If you see him on the street, then tip your hat his way. You'll know just where he's headed and which game he's gonna play. He's a sharp shooting gunman and always aiming high. He'll win many gunfights, his limit is the sky. We're the gunslingers from San Antonio. We're the gunslingers on the road or at home. Remember the Alamo, for such as we are known. We're the gunslingers from San Antonio. And when we're away, we're doing our job. We're keeping law and order at home and abroad. Gamblers and outlaws, you better step aside. Our motto is to shoot them up and bring them back alive. We're the gunslingers from San Antonio. We're the gunslingers on the road or at home. Remember the Alamo, for such as we are known. We're the gunslingers from San Antonio. love Texas and the USA and if you love football you'll love to see us play we'll be shooting up the score and always aiming high we'll be slinging guns and having fun until the day we die we're the gunslingers from San Antonio the gunslingers on the road or at home remember the Alamo for such as we are known we're the Gunslingers from San Antonio. We're the Gunslingers from San Antonio. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Hello, football friends. This is Darren Hayes of the Pigskin Dispatch Podcast, and I'd like to invite you to the portal of positive football history, Pigskin Dispatch and pigskindispatch.com. We talk about everything that centers around the game of American football, expert discussions, the origins of the games, the great players, teams, and coaches, and more, and some great guests and insights from experts. We have new episodes three to four times a week, and you can find us on sportshistorynetwork.com, pigskindispatch.com, or your favorite podcast provider. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's 
historynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.